Oh man, am I having deja vu? Sorry, deja who? No, that's not what I meant. <sighs> Welcome to another episode of Repeater. I am still Evan. I'm still Pat. And on this episode, we actually have another writer for Wyatt Cenac's Problem Areas. But this time, it's Carrie Cadet. Carrie is a stand-up writer, activist, all-around incredible performer based right here in New York City. And she's here to talk to us about the song Mystery of Iniquity by Lauren Hill. Whoa, I, I think I have deja vu too. We have another musical guest on this episode. Whoa. Except this time, it's Atia Taylor of the band Strange Parts. Wow. I know. And she's incredible. Man, it's almost like this show's always good. It's almost like everyone should always subscribe. You know what I mean? And always tell your friends. Yeah, do it all. And always listen to Lauren Hill. Always do everything. Well, time is a flat circle, and there is no time like the present, which doesn't exist, to get you into this episode. Thanks for being here. This is Repeater. Hi, guys. Hello. What's up? Hanging. How are you? I'm good. I'm better now. I have alcohol. So. <laughs> <laughs> good, good, good. Um, well, thanks for joining us and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah. You want to cool. just I'm hold it right the whole time? Um, we should get little side tables. Yeah. We should get small side tables for wine. They'd have to be bar stool height. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We'll think about it. We'll put in a request. <laughs> we'll put in a request. Um, to get us started, we're just going to mention something that we've been listening to recently and, uh, Pat will kick us off. Yeah. Um, I've been listening to a lot cause this week was intense politically. Mm. Uh, so a bunch of heavy metal just to get through that catharsis of, um, just needing some anger to be released. Uh, but I went back and started listening to Mogwai again. Uh, Mm -hmm. If you don't know Mogwai, they're kind of like explosions in the sky. So kind of nice cinematic. uh, Instrumental music. Instrumental music. music. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cool. They have an album called Hardcore Will Never Die, But You Will, which sounds very (laughs) depressing, but it's actually like pretty hopeful and fun. And there's a song on it called Rano Pano that I like a lot. So check that out. Sweet. Uh, I went back uh, this week and I've been listening to this uh, the debut album by this band Ozo Motley. They're like an LA, I don't know, uh, fusion like hip hop, uh, Latin music, um, funk band. Uh, I think their album came out like 1998, so it's 20 years old at this point. But it's really good music for like a warm summer's day, and it's been super hot this weekend. So I've been listening to that album. I think it's a self titled album, if I'm not mistaken, but I might be. Um, and uh, and I remember there's this one song. I want to say it's called The Diplomat, but I'm not 100% sure. But it features Charlie Tuna. If you guys remember Jurassic 5, uh, he's the baritone MC from that group. Uh, <laughs> and the whole the whole album actually, it was like early on in their history, features uh, Cut Chemist and Charlie Tuna, who are like two guys from Jurassic 5. So it's kind of a fun little, uh, it's almost like a crossbreeding of two different bands in that album. So that's what I've been listening to. I've been listening to been writing a lot lately and i always write to erica badu so i've just had like all seven of her albums on shuffle in 
any random order. Um, but yesterday when I was cleaning, see, I have music for different moves depending mm-hmm. on what I'm doing and the type of shit that I'm in. I can say shit. Can I say oh, shit? Oh, yeah. yeah. Please Thank do. Thank God. I <laughs> uh, got to get a few shits out early. <laughs> Last night when I was cleaning, we were listening to um, Nookie by Limp Biscuit, And I forgot, <laughs> I forgot how much that was my song until I went off. Like, I was just like... Dum, 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 dum. It was like a whole thing. So like, yeah. That's a good cleaning song. It was really... I was sweating. I was like, is yeah. this a workout? It was a whole thing. I was like trying to like do... A, all right. Too, I was yeah. going to say too much. But yeah, that was my shit. We did that song <laughs> karaoke in Chicago a couple months ago uh, to an empty bar. And it doesn't even matter though, it right? It was so much fun. It's so much fun. It's like, yeah, you need that. Like when you said with all the heavy metal, it's like cathartic. I was just kind of like having that experience yesterday, just cleaning, sweating, <laughs> just panting after it was done. It was really good. Nice. Oh yeah. Uh, what song did you want to talk about tonight? Uh, Lauren Hill. It's the mystery of iniquity. It was on her very unpopular MTV unplugged album. <laughs> Where everyone thought she went crazy, which she probably did, but I love that album, and I don't care what anyone says, I'm going to defend it to the death. <laughs> well, cool. Let's listen to a clip of it, uh, that song right now, just so okay. everyone can kind of yeah, listen get to a the taste. Song, guys. You know what I mean? You can take a sip. It's the mystery. It's right in the beginning. Her voice on this album is great. Yeah, she's raspy. going through some things. It was raspy. She was crying through a lot of the songs. Yeah. She did her own uh, acoustic guitar situation. Yeah. So every other song sounds the same. Yep. I actually thought I was going to give you guys another song, but this one works too. No, I'm <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so this is just the start of the song. It's a great tune. Um, yeah. And I think didn't hasn't that been sampled? Uh, there's some song like I forget years later that sampled the "All oh, Fall Down" part. Kanye, Kanye, right? That's when Stacey Dash was still black. Do you remember that? <laughs> <laughs> she was in the video looking gorgeous. She still looked like Dion, and we we're like, "Yeah, Stacey Dash." And she started speaking, and we abandoned her. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, Pat and I are going to try to guess why you chose this song, um, and then you're going to tell oh, us for real. Be fun. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I've thought long and hard about this. Okay. <laughs> Did you? No. Uh, I I think that you were a big Fuji's fan and really enjoyed Lauren Hill as a solo act. And so when she did her Unplugged, uh, you were there to watch it. Maybe you recorded it to watch over and over and over. Um, but I think this song in particular stood out to you because of the intro she gave it that monologue she gives before this song uh and maybe that's why the song stands out to you mm, cool good one yes i'm a guess i'll guess i don't think my guess is all that different than pat's uh it has to be different you can't say different the enough. same thing it's gonna be a little different it's gonna be a little different uh no um i think that Yes, I think that you're a big fan of the Miseducation of Lauryn Hill and eagerly anticipating a sophomore album that never came exactly, although this was the sophomore album, right? Watch your mouth. Exactly. <laughs> no, but she, uh, she kind of talks about it uh, in some of the interludes in this album about how, you know, she's just, like putting all these songs together but never really putting an album together. 
Um, and that she doesn't really consider, she's like, I think she says at one point that she's not a musician anymore. She's a, she's a poet or a writer and she's just putting music behind some stuff. Um, but I think that you were waiting, waiting, waiting. So when Unplug came out, um, that was like a, a drop everything, listen to the whole, the whole album kind of, uh, uh, mood for that one. And that, let's see, I'm going to guess, I'm going to guess you were in high school and that this, <laughs> and that she was, uh, she was like, this song was illuminating a lot of stuff that wasn't heard in a lot of popular music, but she was a big popular artist. And so, uh, it was cool to hear that. That's my guess. I'll go with both of those. Yeah. The All CD right. was on sale. And- <laughs> <laughs> Cheap. Very, very inexpensive. No one else wanted it. I was like, ooh, a steal. So, uh, no, this album came out at a time. I was, I must have been a senior in high school. And I was an activist. And I was like finding my voice and speaking truth to power. I was a very serious 15-year-old, guys. <laughs> and um, so this, this, when she came out with this album, I was like, holy shit, like here's somebody putting into the music. She was a popular artist. She like won seven Grammys with her first album and like everyone loved her. And then she came out and it was like she did a complete 180 with the sounds and the things she wanted to say. And I was just like, this is raw. It was real. Actually, I was listening to this uh, album again from the beginning, like last week. And I was like, if this came out now, people would be like, whatever shit they're saying about Donald Glover and This Is America, they'd be saying about Lauryn Hill. They'd be like, she's a genius. Well, no, because they don't call women geniuses. <laughs> um, for some reason, yeah, shade. Who knows why? Um, I don't know why. But yeah, but like, I think it was an album that was before its time and you can listen to it today and it still be very relevant. So, Oh yeah, I think abs- uh, absolutely. Um she there's like she hold she holds back no punches on this album at all and uses these interludes which are listed as different tracks on the album because they're like two to five minutes long yeah um just <laughs> talking about uh both the issues that are on the album i think but also herself and yep. kind of yeah. like what's been going on since the miseducation of lauren hill yeah and being very transparent about it being like listen i i thought that I had it all together and I was at the top of my game and I just realized that I was just like buying all of these things and I was just filling my life with stuff, but the stuff wasn't bringing me any joy. And the thing that is bringing me the joy is the music. And she's just like, how crazy is that, that I started doing music because of the joy it brought me, but being success, so successful at the music robbed it of its joy. And it was just like this, like, man, I fuck with you, Lauren. I feel you. <laughs> it was so nice. Yeah, I had... I had heard the songs from the unplugged before, but I had never gone and like listened to it with the interludes. Mm -hmm. And like this song is great on its own, but when you get the, this one has a 12 minute interlude before it and it just gives it such a raw and like personal feeling. Yeah. It's so amazing. You need context, you know, you can't just go into it cold. You got to listen. Yeah. Nice. Um, And she also talks on the album a lot about like you, everyone probably thought I lost my mind. And she goes, I probably did. Yeah. She's like, everybody probably thought I'm crazy. And I am, but we all are crazy. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Which is like, here she's talking about mental health issues 12, 15 years ago. It's like, she was ahead of her time. Yeah. Way ahead. Yeah, but yeah, absolutely what you're saying. Like, the internet would be engulfed in Lauryn Hill if this album came out right now, you know? People would be going nuts for it. Yeah, I think so. Um, And... Those Grammys she won, I believe, if I'm not wrong, I think that was the most by a solo artist ever, especially on a debut album, maybe something like that. I think so. Like she was I a mean, record setter. That. Yeah, I want her to have the record in like the most 
everything ever. She's also always late to every concert now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I saw her like six years ago. It started two, two and a half hours late. Whoa. But you know what? That's the fans' <laughs> fault. That's y'all' fault. Because I show up three hours late because yeah. I know she's not going to be on time. <laughs> no, we knew. Why are y'all showing up early still? It was the end of the tour, so we came an hour and a half late. Okay. All right. <laughs> we like every night, people are like complaining, complaining. We're like, so we just don't show up when you're supposed to show up. And yeah. that makes it easy. It's so nuts. People getting so upset. It's like, you know who she's going to be. Like, what are we doing? Just adjust or don't go, right? Yeah. yeah. This was also in uh, Montclair and she's from South Orange, I think. Yeah. So this was like her hometown show of that tour. <laughs> so it got she's to be like- Disrespectful. It got to be like 1 a.m., middle of the concert kind of. And But she had like all of her uh, nieces and nephews and like there were all these kids out on the stage because it was her hometown show. So her whole family was there and stuff. And I was like, those kids are up late. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but so, so you were an activist during this time. Yeah. What were you, what were you, uh, talking about? Was I activating? Or, Um, or, or, you know, yeah. Yeah. Literally the same shit now. I remember in senior year, I was a part of this organization called Global Kids. Had like a crazy high school experience. And by the time. And where is that? In Brooklyn. Hey, shout out to Brooklyn. (laughs) Born and raised. Um, and like by my senior year. I became, I don't know, I read one book and was like, oh shit, (laughs) this is crazy. So like I started, I joined this group called Global Kids and it was like for teenage activists and we would go to like Albany, like we lobbied for the Dream Act. So like to now hear the Dreamer still be a thing, I was like, well damn, like was all that for naught? Um, (laughs) But yeah, so I I used to make t-shirts and I was always consumed with like, giving a message. And I was like, how am I going to do it? And I started doing spoken word around this time. So like when listening to this album, it really like transformed the way that I wrote and approached like my poems. So I started doing like slams at the New Yorican. Then I started a t-shirt company and I used to sell t-shirts and the t-shirts were like, fuck the police. And um, I sold out number one seller. <laughs> and it would be like, fuck milk, got ganja. And it was just like <laughs> different things. It was so strange, but it was like, this is my message. Jesus is black. Get over it. Those are my three best-selling shirts. Nice. Bring yeah. them back. <laughs> you know, I was thinking about it. I would make a killing. I made fuck Bush t-shirts right when he was running for re-election. And there was like a rally in Union Square. And I made $400 in like an hour and a half. <laughs> and now with Trump being president, I was like... I should have had the fuck Trump shirts. <laughs> <sighs> so what was the book that like set you off on this activist path? Or like, what was it about? I, I don't even know. What book was it? <laughs> I have, I couldn't tell you like what, I feel like, like I read one thing that led me down to like read other things. I started reading like uh, Marcus Garvey and Malcolm X and like just reading up on like, just, I used to read like history books, but like, the ones written by black people. Cause I was like the ones in the textbooks, this is just flawed. You can't read this. <laughs> and um, yeah, I was just really, really aware. I was Rastafarian. No one in my family was. And I was like, I am. So when Lauren came out, yeah. she was like, I believe she sort of identified a Rastafarian at, yeah. during this time. She was married to a Marley. Right? She was, which is what happens. Did you know that you have to convert? It's like Judaism. Like you can't like fuck a Rasta man and then not be Rasta. It's just like you fuck them and then the dreadlocks grow. It just happens. <laughs> so powerful. 
when she came out talking all of that, I was like, we are on the same. We were vibrating on the same frequency. That's the type of language you got to use. Lauren and I were vibrating on the same frequency. And like, I needed that album at that time of my life. Yeah. I mean, it sounds perfect basically. Cause she was, she was doing more something akin to spoken word on this album. Right. You know, she's playing songs and playing music, but, um, if you listen to the songs, it's there's a lot of words. Yeah, and she has like bars. Yeah, it's great. Um, it's it's really interesting. I think she and she does intentionally sort of frame it that way for you when uh, in in some of those interludes. I think. Yeah, she's like, you know, if I don't play the guitar, if it goes silent, it's because I want you to focus on the words that I'm saying. And I was like, okay, it's also because you know three notes, but I'm not gonna hold it <laughs> <laughs> against you. It's the same strumming. But go ahead, Lauren. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so you you have this background in this uh, spoken word and activism and stuff like that. And then um, eventually you started doing comedy though, right? I did. I did. Was that something that seemed to like dovetail in with that previous background or was that, did that feel like a new thing? You know, nothing I do feels new. It feels like I've been doing the same thing since I was five years old and it's just filtering itself in a different lens. Like when I was younger, I used to write like little sketches and screenplays and play all the characters because my sister could not be bothered. (laughs) (laughs) And then in high school, I started doing spoken word and then spoken word turned into rap. Mm -hmm. And once I started rapping, that's when I started doing comedy because I did like parody raps. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, this is just set up punchlines. It's the same thing. So a la Lauren, if I took the music out, just focus on the words, it's stand-up comedy. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. In high school, when you were doing the poetry, were you like going out to places to do it? Or? Oh, yeah. I was slamming. I had one New York in poetry slams. I was at the Bauchi Poetry House. Guys, I was crushing it. <laughs> I was like, I have like a published poem. I was like out here, like I'm going to be... At that time, though, poets didn't, probably still at this time, I don't know what poets do to be successful. Like, it was yeah. like deaf poetry dram on HBO. And that, you know, Russell Simmons is a me too. So they took, so he can't, so that doesn't <laughs> exist anymore is what I'm saying. There's no more deaf anything. <laughs> yeah, so that's. Yeah, I don't know what um, what it means to be a successful poet. I, I think i know like two poets and they seem to uh write poetry and also have real jobs yeah all the poets i, I know, know are teachers yeah yeah that would make sense right yeah um i've but, bought a couple of books of poetry because i'm like maybe i'll get into this maybe i'll like be cultured and uh they're just sitting on my nightstand looking fancy poetry is different from like spoken word though sure mm-hmm. yeah like poetry is like you read it well. It's like roses, whatever, that shit. But spoken word, <laughs> I bailed halfway through the example. It's like la-di-da, rhymes, limericks, haikus, that shit. And um, spoken word is more like, which I hate how cliche it is now. It's like, we're sitting in a room, in a tomb, faced with doom, and I assume. Like, after a while, that shit gets really irritating. <laughs> That was really you, good, though. Do you think like you would reach your limit with it, or uh, were you kind of uh, transitioning to other stuff just for different reasons? I think that's just not the way I wanted to voice. I just grew out of that type of expression. Like I just started writing other things, and it's just I realize that's what's happening to me. Like it just depends on what I feel like writing. I still write rap sometimes, but mm-hmm. I also write like short stories. And I was like, "Why are you writing stories? Nobody reads anymore." <laughs> So I don't know. It's just like, you know? Yeah. 
I'm just a being. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, but you were saying the, um, <laughs> that political, that activist side of you is still very much alive. Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. I'm on it. On it. Uh, do you, well, you get to, um, you get to write for a show now that takes stuff on, right? I do. That's got to be pretty cool. It was pretty cool. It was like, so I write for the Wyatt Cinex show on HBO and um, it's a late night show, but it couples sort of topical things, not current events. So it's never going to be like what happened in the news today, but it'll be topical like uh, climate change or like ideas, right? And then the last part of the show is based on solving police brutality, which is not really solving. He looked, this dude was like, what the fuck did she just say? <laughs> did she say comedy and then police brutality? And this, I sure did. <laughs> uh, it's, like a, it's like a 10 part documentary and it breaks down like all the different aspects of policing and each episode is dedicated to a different aspect of it. So it'd be like training, um, accountability and like trying to figure out like what is happening, guns, like different episodes. And in my real life, I had gotten really involved in police work and activism and trying to figure out exactly what we can do that's actionable and tangible to like affect change. So when I got that job, I was like, oh, hello, I already was doing this. Like, yeah. and you're going to give me a check for the shit I was doing for free in my spare time. Love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is the ideal scenario, right? Yeah. Um, what, uh, well, what are like, what do you think are some of the most important things that people can do? Like what, what are the ways uh, to make change within that? You know, if I learned anything is that we're fucked. <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible. There's no hope. Just get drunk and high on Sundays. <laughs> like I am. Yeah. Nah, I think local elections are key. I think being involved on, on that is key. I think, but most importantly, um, we have to see some type of legislation that has police accountability. Yeah. Like somebody has to go to jail. Once the first cop goes to jail for killing somebody, I feel like they'll dial it back a little bit, you know, but until then it's just like, it's going to be, it's going to be a free for all. Like it has been you just, it's yeah. just that simple. Yeah. There hasn't been a lot of uh, hope thus far. Not a lot of cops going to jail. No, there isn't. And there's been, a, there's a blue lives matter bill which is interesting that there would be a Blue Lives Matter bill before any Black Lives Matter anything yeah. passed because y'all got that phrase from us. <laughs> <laughs> they are outworking us on the legislation out here. Yeah. Uh, the audacity of that uh, that movement, I was, I had to like make a, I was up in Harlem at 145th and there's a police station in one of the like BDAC sta- stations mm-hmm. and you come up from one of the platforms and there's a station there and they're just like hanging a big old blue lives matter flag. Mm-hmm. Um, it just seemed really like a slap in the face. Yeah. It's pretty antagonistic. It's also like no one ever doubted that your life matter. It's just such a crazy thing. To, ugh, why are you getting me started? <laughs> it's just such a, it's, it's just a crazy, it's just, it's just a crazy thing to declare. No one, it's just like that wasn't an assumption. No one ever said that that was something that didn't matter. And the declaration came because it was like, apparently it doesn't look like Black Lives Matter to you guys. So we just want to let you know that uh, you can't do this. We hurt too. That was all that we were trying to say. Yeah. And then I just hate the idea of like people even saying anti-police. I just think that's just such a, that's not a phrase. It's not a thing. I don't think there's anyone that's anti-police, you know? Yeah. It's like, 
We need the police. I think it's anti-police brutality. Y'all left off one critical word, and that is why we, we're not speaking the same language anymore. Who is pro-police brutality? Uh, okay. Hopefully nobody. Rant over. Yeah. Right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, hopefully nobody, but then you see the people that have, like, the Punisher sticker on their car, and it's like, just a dude that, like, shoots up how i don't know he's just like an incredibly violent oh the punisher character yeah it's like sorry what? i thought you were like talking about a guy that had that sticker on his car i mean like, like who do you know I, pat i mean I, i've seen a bunch of those cars around yeah. where it's you got the flag with the blue stripe and then a punisher sticker i thought of like, the stripper back in brooklyn i was just like sorry I want that. He was like the Punisher. He was like the Punisher. I was like, "Ooh, guys, I have to call him." <laughs> it's been a long time, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that. Uh, I mean, that's great that you get to work on a show that's doing that. And it's great that that show is doing that. You know, has big, this? That's a big platform and a, and a great through line to have for this season. Yeah. Yep. I think people were just like, "Why would this be a thing that's being done?" But once we started doing it, we were like, oh, this is pretty cool. Because it's just like you look at the news and so much of it is just reporting what's going wrong. And it's hard to feel like there's hope. So this is a show that was like, we're going to try to like give people something to look forward to so they don't feel so helpless. So I thought that was kind of nice. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think of the idea of like this uh, marriage of comedy as political, you know, politics as comedy? Uh, We've had so many popular late night shows and things like that over the past bunch of years, you know, that are addressing that kind of stuff. And I think for whatever reason, some people really uphold it. Like it's the smartest and, you know, uh, best take on current events politically. And I think other people think, you know, whatever, those are just comedians making jokes. Uh, Curious as to what your thoughts are. I think that comedy has always been political. If you look at Carlin and, Like, people have always made statements with comedy. And I actually don't think that there's anything you cannot make fun of. I think if it happens in life, you should be able to make fun of it. And um, so I don't think there's anything off limits about it. And I do think that if you're not a political comic and that was never your bag, you don't have to feel pressure to try it. Like, that wasn't your lane. You don't have to. But... If that's what you do and you have a perspective and a spin on it that's not already being spoken about, then I think comedy is like the brilliant way to like put things into perspective. Like I love what's, I don't love what's happening right now, but like this is my shit. You know what I mean? Like I'm crushing. Like I like this because I've been like thinking about this shit for like since this album. (laughs) So I've been ready for turmoil so I can profit off of it because I'm terrible too. (laughs) (laughs) so like if you've been ready for this turmoil what are the conversations like in the writer's room um i love the writer's room i think everyone comes from such different backgrounds and it's nice to um be able to just speak from my perspective and someone who has like researched the police and someone who's been arrested by the police uh, I've sued the police. <laughs> I sold t-shirts, <laughs> made money off of my dislike with the police. It's just a whole, it's me and the police go way back. <laughs> so in the writer's room, it's just cool. Everyone like pitches in based on like where they're from. But I feel like, you know, I, I can say something and put it in perspective that people don't necessarily see or hear on TV. And that's kind of cool. Yeah, that's awesome. 
Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> um, you were saying before that uh, you were Rastafarian for a bit. Mm-hmm. How the hell did that happen? Where did, was that I had from sex with the man <laughs> and then I grew the dreadlocks. Do you remember? That was okay. Okay. <laughs> no, I thought that, you were just speaking on Lauren's experience. No, no, no. I'm, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> how did I? I don't know how anything happens in my life. I literally wake up one day and I'm like, this is what my spirit is telling me to be right now. And um, yeah, I did it. I was a crip before then. Okay. So I feel like some part of me was just looking for family and kinship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, who is my tribe? Is it the people wearing all blue? Uh, or, <laughs> or is it these people over here? And yeah, so that was just fun. That was that was that was the whole time. That's cool. Yeah, I don't have a better answer for you. No, that's cool. But there's. I don't know why I do anything, sir. <laughs> you don't have to. <laughs> you just do it because you want to do it, I guess, right? Yeah, it felt good. It also felt like it felt like the one religion. If I had to be religious, it was the one religion that centered Africa and Black people, and yeah. wasn't a result of some type of colonialization and some white man with long hair and six pack abs. I was like, I cannot get down. <laughs> This don't seem like I should be kneeling in front of this chiseled man. <laughs> I mean, but Rip Jesus is pretty is, cool. Why is he so shredded? Like, what is happening? Who drew this man? No. <laughs> I want my God to be unattractive so I can focus on the... <laughs> I mean, it's a bunch of, it's a bunch of like unattractive white guys drawing that guy being like, this is what we should look yeah, like. Yeah, it's like hashtag goals. And <laughs> Pretty much just before we had it, people just had to fill museums or churches with art, right? Mm-hmm. Before we had Twitter. Yep. <laughs> before Twitter. Um, but yeah, that is, uh, I, what, what was the, like, what is that community like for you? Oh, um, it was awesome. It was great because I felt like, I felt celebrated. You walk down the street. And I like that, like, to be in a religion where you could, like, see other people and there was like a greeting that you did like the dudes would come and they see you and they do a little bow and they'd be like empress which is like queen and mm-hmm. I was like okay mm-hmm. how you doing king and it was just so nice to just walk the streets and just feel like I was royalty really I guess I'm a narcissist <laughs> <laughs> no but it also felt like it, it just it just felt like the right thing to do it felt like you know it was it was it was it's it really helped me become comfortable with who I am, my just being unapologetically me, natural hair. I got big eyes, big lips. I got a big mouth. And it was just like, you are beautiful. And this is who you're supposed to be. And these are your bestowed gifts. And you are out here to like, you know, so I like that a lot. That was like, that was nice to me. Yeah. Yeah. And right. That's got to be one of the very few religions that uh, is basically centered around that. Yeah, I don't know any if, if there's another one out there. Let me know. Well, no, I think I'm, I'm over religion now. At this sure. point, I just feel like how cliche what I'm about to say. I'm just really spiritual. <laughs> I don't really believe in religion as much, but yeah, I've, I'm I'm no longer searching for that thing I was searching for. But yeah. like all those tools help me become who I am today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that is <laughs> spoken words. Yes. Snaps. <laughs> I mean, that is a, that's probably religion for a lot of people, right? You know, um, whether you find it yourself or you're raised in it. I think, I, I mean, I certainly know a lot of people that are no longer religious, but certainly that plays into who they are and plays into how they got to be the way they are. Yeah, for um, sure. I got a buddy who is like a super do-gooder, 
uh, incredibly nice, almost like overly polite and takes like this really positive view on everything. And it's like, well, he was Mormon, you know, and he had this like really kind of like a uh, uh, positive look on a lot of stuff um, and super, super, super friendly. And that's, yeah, it's going to be part of him forever. I like when you can see people's religion on them. That didn't come out right. <laughs> I'm, so not like a crossing around yeah, the neck. But. No, I mean, like, I have friends that are like born again Christian and mm-hmm. one of them is miserable as fuck. And I was like, if this is what giving your life to Jesus, like asking for it back, girl, because you are just sad. <laughs> There's nothing godly about you. You just do not seem like you are enjoying your life. But I have another friend, born again Christian, and she is just the loveliest person to, mm. walk, to be around. You can just feel it off of her. And I'm like, yes, religion is working for you. Great. Also, who am I to say what, who is working for and who is not, right? Yeah. What a dickhead move. But. I'm just saying, I feel like if you walk with the Lord, I want to see him hand in hand when you show up sometimes at these events. That's it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do appreciate that. Of like, uh, There's something, especially maybe around, you know, our age group, uh, hanging around comedy artists and stuff like that, where I think it's a little, it's almost taboo to be religious uh, sometimes. Like um, a lot of people are just very secular walking through day-to-day life. Uh, and I kind of do like it and appreciate it. If, if somebody is really religious, like they let you know and they don't put it on you, but they l- allow it to be a part of themselves um, unabashedly. And that is actually kind of refreshing and nice. Yeah, I think so. Um, so it sounds like your journey to today, like through everything you've done has sort of been like, you seem like you're just ready f- to walk through a new door and see what those opportunities are and like let those things influence you. And I'm wondering now that you're so comfortable with yourself and like how you're influenced by the world, like culture, like books or other people, like if you're a part of like a larger community or if you just sort of uh, stay on your own path for these things. Um, come through with the profound question. <laughs> I smoked a lot of weed before I did this. I did not realize. Um, I think I probably, I do a little bit of both. I kind of, try to exist in my own thing. I try to unplug from social media sometimes. I hate that. I hate that, like, everything is about outrage now. So, like, I get the news with the opinion. Like, the headline will be like, why, you should be mad. And I'm like, I guess I should be mad. (laughs) And it's like, I like the opportunity to, like, think for myself. And, like, what? how would I process this if I didn't have a million people already telling me what their favorite think piece thought about it already you know Mm -hmm. so sometimes I have to really pull back and just like try to do my own thing but you know I'm still a part of the world so I have to like listen to people and I am affected by things that people say and because otherwise I just wouldn't be human and so I feel like I'm sensitive to those type of things and I try to like let it affect me only as much as I can use it in my in my work Mm -hmm. (laughs) What do you feel like are your biggest inputs these days? Are they collaborators, friends, news sources, you know, uh, or kind of all over? Probably all over. I think a lot of the, the conversations that I have with my friends every day informs a lot of the things that I talk about on stage. And um, what was the other part? <laughs> no, I was just curious. Uh, in terms of like what you take stock in, you know, um, whether that's specific writers, specific friends or collaborators and stuff like that, 
Like, do you have anyone in your life that you know, you're like, I'm always going to listen to this person and I'm always going to kind of take their stuff in. And- no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, Good, for I sure. <laughs> my sister is like my other half. Oh, that sounded so lonely. <laughs> She's my soulmate. I love her so much. So, like, I really, I value her opinion a lot. And some of my comedy friends, like, mm-hmm. I'll ask them, like, what they think. Like, there's, like, two or three where I'm like, I, I respect your opinion. And then I'll pretty much take anyone's opinion, but I won't, like, you know, you take the meat and you throw away the bones. So some people don't know what the fuck they're talking about. <laughs> so you just be like, uh-huh, okay. But then they might say that one thing that you can use. So I try to not, like, ignore everyone. I just kind of, like, listen and then, you know, disregard <laughs> 95% of what they said. Yeah. <laughs> did that answer your question? Yeah, just, that, did I disregard 95% of your question just now? <laughs> no, that totally answered it. Uh, that totally answered it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like a very healthy way to go through, I mean, especially this presidency. Just like take a step back and like try to process it and not get the anger first. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it sucks because I'm not even so. I'm not anger is not the the way I feel right now. Sure. What's, it's it's such a mixed bag. I think a lot of the the dialogue on social media, everyone is so extreme that they don't allow for the fact that you can feel two different ways, or you can have a myriad of feelings about one thing. It's like all or nothing, and it's like that's not the world that we live in. So I'm really practicing trying not to just run to my respective side of every argument. Look, I'm a black woman, feminist, blah, blah, blah. And these are the things that I have to believe. Like, I don't think Samantha B should have apologized for calling homegirl a feckless cunt. You know what I mean? But they told me I was supposed to be like, you can't call women cunts with some women be cunts. You know what I mean? <laughs> and like, wh- what word are you supposed to use with feckless if not cunt? <laughs> so it's just like, but they told me I wasn't supposed to believe that. And I said, no. <laughs> so I don't know yeah. how we got there. What is happening? <laughs> we got there and we conquered it and we gave a strong opinion on that one news story. Uh, Carrie, thank you so much for joining oh, us. Thank, thank you. you. Guys this so was wonderful. Much. Everybody give it up for Carrie Cadet. Fun. Thank you guys. Now, you obviously want to hear Atia's cover of Mystery of Iniquity. So you should head on over to repeater.show where you can stream it. Stream it or save it for later or do both. But for now, let's head back to QED to hear a couple of more Strange Part songs performed by Atia Taylor. <laughs> Oh, 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 oh,
So I have one more for you. Ooh. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. This one's called uh, Asleep in the Flowers.
If you want to keep up with Carrie, and we know you do, you should check out CarrieKadit.com. That's Kadit, C-O-D-D-E-T-T. And you can follow her on Twitter and Instagram at Overfab. And if you'd like to know more about Atia Taylor and Strange Parts, go to their website, strangeparts.bandcamp.com. They just put out an album called, Oh God, What a Beautiful Time I Spent in the Wild. And it is so good. Man, it was so nice to get to talk to Carrie, especially um, about all of her like past in activism and slam poetry and all this cool stuff that led to her current life. Yeah, it was just really exciting and refreshing to see somebody who's open to new experiences and see where it gets them in life. Yeah, I hope that uh, you and I are open to new experiences in life and may they take us wherever life may lead. Yeah. Maybe I'll go and finally read those poetry books I bought myself. You should do that. Maybe I will finally put on a shirt. (sighs) Until next time, hit repeat. Repeater is hosted by Evan Forbarden and Patrick Cartelli at QED in Astoria, Queens, a place to show and tell. Find out more at qedastoria.com. Our show is supported in part by Hi-Fi Records and Cafe in Astoria. Visit them from wherever you are at hi-fi-records.com. Editing by Stephen Garvey. Theme music by The Sun Lions. Everything else by Love Nest Productions. Welcome to Repeater. Repeater.